here rests in honored glory an American soldier known to God. On the tomb it says, known but to God. In other words, nobody would know those who have given their lives and died. They could be unrecognized by people, but they're never, they're never ever unrecognized by God. We give thanks for the lives that were planted for our freedom. The most famous letter in the history of the United States of America, if you look that up on a Google search, is a letter to one Mrs. Bigsby. Bixby. It's Bixby. It was written from the executive mansion in Washington, November 21st, 1864. The letter says this, Dear Madam, I have been shown in the files of the War Department a statement of the Adjutant General of Massachusetts that you are the mother of five sons. And she had a sixth who was convalescing in the hospital from the war as well. The mother of five sons who have died gloriously on the field of battle. I feel how weak and fruitless must be any word of mine which should attempt to beguile you from the grief of a loss so overwhelming. But I cannot refrain from tendering you the consolation that may be found in the thanks of the Republic they died to save. I pray that our Heavenly Father may assuage the anguish of your bereavement and leave you only the cherished memory of the loved and lost and the solemn pride that must be yours to have laid so costly a sacrifice upon the altar of freedom. Your very, yours, very sincerely and respectfully, Abraham Lincoln. The solemn pride that must be yours to have laid so costly a sacrifice upon the altar of freedom. The book in the Bible that talks the most about the subject of sacrificing what we have to God is the book of Malachi. And in the book of Malachi, God ordered his prophet to talk to Israel to try to bring them back to a healthy position. They were suffering great losses. One reason why they were suffering losses is they had a sacrificial system in Israel. But Israel had been in captivity. And after coming out of captivity, they were in a great time of rebuilding. And it's expensive to rebuild after you've been a slave. You have to climb back into social standing. And Israel had climbed into social standing. But something happened. An attitude of neglect had begun to develop in their midst. The sacrificial system that they had had been very clear. You could offer certain things, as is obvious, self-evident from the term sacrificial system. They offered doves, grain for peace offering. They offered their prayers, but if they wanted forgiveness for sins, they offered a one-year unblemished 
animal, a lamb, for sacrifice. And the way they did the liturgy was this. The lamb was bled out by the juggler, and some of the blood was taken in a sacred basin. Almost as if today we were to put the communion offering of a new wine in a sacred basin. But this was blood. And they took a, a bush, and it was a hyssop bush. Now, the best I can get to you, a hyssop bush has leaves the shape of an azalea bush. Nod your head if you've seen the shape of an azalea leaf, right? So you have an idea. And as the people would come forward, they'd come forward much like you'd come forward, and the priest, instead of saying, this bread is uh, my body given for you, this blood is my cup of the new covenant shed for you and for many for the forgiveness, forgiveness of sins, we say, this blood is the blood for forgiveness for the sins of God's people. And I would dip the azalea branch in the blood and then spatter it on you. I'm not going to try that here. You've been traumatized enough. But I think I'd get traumatized after that. So instead of something like Sunday best, they wore a tunic that could withstand, and it was okay to withstand, the blood stains. And do you know what they said when the blood was sprinkled upon them? May this blood be ours. If we dare again to disobey the living God. Wow. What a solemn, solemn prayer. May this blood be ours. Let me just tell you, I think the old preacher would pass out dead up there on the altar if after I gave you communion, you'd say, Reverend, may this blood be mine if I ever sin again. I think I'd fall over. Or one of us would. They took it seriously. But something they didn't take seriously was that if they weren't doing too well financially, God would understand because uh, after all, they were a people coming out of captivity and, and bondage. And they needed resources to live. And instead of giving the sacrifices like commanded in Scripture, they, they neglected. And they quit giving their financial gifts. And they gave lame animals instead of unblemished animals. And God said, why do you disdainfully sniff when you're asked to give? And then he said three things. Really, he did say three things, not just because I needed a three-part sermon. He, he said three things. Here's the first thing he said. <laughs> you are offering lame sacrifices now. Your sacrifices are lame. The second thing God said was, you don't and you wouldn't treat your governor that way. Well, he doesn't know New Jerseyans. I know some people that would really like to treat their governor that way. But the point is this. God said, when you have guests and company over, you don't offer them the lame. You offer them the best. Then why have you quit offering me your best? And then he said one more thing. And this one is, wow, 
I mean, as if you couldn't think that God would be you know, more confronted by saying, you've just given me a lame offering. If you wouldn't take that as confrontive, of, listen to God's third point. I wish there was somebody among you who would shut the gates of the temple. Recently, as Doreen and I went back down to Kentucky, we passed a church right on Route 68 outside of Lexington that when I was in school was the fastest growing church in the annual conference. And when we passed it, it was all boarded up. The windows and the doors closed up. It reminded me of a time, just for leisure, I was driving to see relatives in Ohio, and I stopped at this antique store, mostly because they were, had some pretty creative signs, and they had a bunch of stuff out, and I just stopped. But I realized that the warehouse out of which they were unloading the things was a church. As, in fact, it was a church that looked a lot like Trinity Church on Main Street, except on top of the bell tower, they had a a large steeple. And I went in and they were offering there the sales from the flea market. And I saw a hunting knife that I was going to buy. But inside, I felt just a tiny pinprick of the Holy Spirit inside, just like he jabbed me a little bit and said, Ron, you don't need to use the house of God to purchase a hunting knife. And so instead I stood in there and said, Lord, I wonder, I wonder what caused the backsliding of a church. That the people would give up on their vision and their ministry. Did they offer lame sacrifices? Did they treat God with less respect than they, they would treat their own honored guests in their home? Why not board the church? What happens when today's vibrant churches turn into tomorrow's flea markets? What happens? And I want to say as far as God is concerned in Malachi, it's always the same. That it's just not worth it. But I want to say this today. It is so worth it. On Memorial Day, we remember those who laid down their lives. Do you know when you close the book of Malachi, you have the darkest period of Israel's history. Almost 500 years where there was no prophet to say, thus saith the Lord. You see, when the word is shut off, then there's vanity among the people of God. Because the Lord has said that His Word will never return void. It would be vanity. Christ laid down His life. Today we have this, this glorious tomb here. Standing with Jared, standing honor guard to remind us that God always knows when someone lays down their life. Greater love has no man than this than a man lay down his life for his friends. Those were the words and the verses that the United States president picked out to remember the service on Memorial Day. Greater love has no man than this. 
Next week, the tomb won't be there. But the death of Jesus Christ most certainly will. So we were sitting in the sanctuary as, as Bill was uh, engineering, putting together the tomb from the various pieces. And Darina had called me. And so I decided uh, to talk and uh, play as I like to do sometimes. I said, Darina, we've just put the tomb of the unknown soldier up in the sanctuary. But now we need a person to lay in that tomb all three hours. The hour's late. I forgot it. But uh, I know you'll sacrifice for your church. Will you come and lay in that tomb? And there was just silence on the other end. You know, it's sad when I pick the most remote, obscure, absurd thing there is. And Dorena believes that I'm capable of running that past her for real. But honey, there's nobody in that tomb. And brothers and sisters, are you aware there's never been any remains of any soldier in the tomb of the unknown soldier. It's solid granite. Bill told me that he was, you know, reading about the background of it so he could make a very informed rep replica. And that, that is so, Bill, to give us this. And he was giving us the story. And he said three times they brought the granite piece and it was almost there, ready to be laid as the tomb of the unknown soldier and it got a crack, and they had to scrap it. But on the 4th, they got it the way it was supposed to be, and it's been there ever since. Can a life fall to the ground in death without Jesus Christ, the author of life, knowing or rewarding if it's been an honorable life? The answer is no. But when Christ lays down his life, it is so that the people, the believers of God, can be sacrificial, like Christ himself was sacrificial. I'd like to ask this question. Given that people have laid such a pricely cost on the altar of freedom, what do you lay on God's altar of freedom today? Will it be increased giving? Will it be your time? Will it be your talent? Would it be all of your life by grace through faith so that you can receive Christ's gift of everlasting life? It's astounding when we realize the sacrifices. And I, I wrote some of them down so that you could hear. First of all, there are things that we ought to read that we don't read anymore. How many ever heard the Gettysburg Address? Raise your hands. Most of you, right? How many remember how many words it was? 270. It was surprisingly short for the fact that more than a million people lost their lives. By the way, I want to I say this. Very rarely do I even say a sentence about my own political bias, but I say one today and it's not about my political bias, it's about American attitude towards the United States military. And I want to say this emphatically in the house of God. We sometimes today are told, and it's mostly from, from very progressive universities, that America's only been a life of privilege and racism. But do you know the two most violent bloody wars in the history of America were the Civil War 
to free America from racism. And World War II, to stop a maniac who was a white supremacist. America's sealed the effort of anti-racism and anti-fascism in the most blood in the history of our nation. And sometimes we ought to say that again, even in our progressive universities, that by the millions, people stepped out and laid down their lives so people might be free. Now, I, I want to read these 270 words. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth upon this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty, dedicated to the proposition that all men, I'm certain he would have said all people now are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We come to dedicate a portion of it as a final resting place for those who died here, that the nation might live. This we may in all propriety do, but in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate. We cannot consecrate. We cannot hollow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here have hollowed it. Far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note, nor long remember what we say here, while it can never forget what they did here. It is rather for us, the living, we here, be dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead, we take, we take increased devotion to that cause for which they here gave the last full measure of devotion that we here highly resolved these dead shall not have died in vain. That the nation shall have a new birth of freedom and that government of the people, by the people, for the people shall not perish from the earth. Here is the roll call. American Revolutionary War. Fifty thousand lives. The War of eighteen twelve. Nineteen thousand five hundred and five lives. The Mexican American War. Seventeen thousand four hundred and thirty five lives. The Civil War. One million eighty four thousand nine hundred and thirty eight lives. The Spanish American War. 4,068 lives. World War I, 320,518 lives. World War II, 1,076,245 lives. The Korean War, 128,650 lives. The Vietnam War, 211,512 lives. The Persian Gulf War, 1,143 lives. The Iraq War, 36,710 lives. The Afghanistan War, 4,442 lives. Trinity Methodist Church, 
one perfect, all-wise God, the only wise God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, laid down his life. These will never have died in vain as long as it lives in our hearts of we, the American people, and we, the people of Trinity, to give our lives in return. And so we, we lean in. We treat one another better than we'd treat the governor back in Malachi's day. We don't offer the lame sacrifices. We seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And finally, in the end, the son of righteousness will rise over us with healing as his wings because when we give our lives to Jesus Christ, this church and any church is never going to go down. Its destination is not to be a flea market in the commerce of the American economy. This church will never go down as long as Jesus is the revered Lord and Savior. This church is going to go up. I read the end of the book, and Trinity wins by grace through faith. But we must never forget those who have given their life for our freedom, not in vain. We live because we live by the grace of another. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, this is God's book of remembrance that he promised the people in Malachi. He would remember those who gave, them their, gave him their lives, and he will remember you as he remembers one of the jewels. Patrick is going to sing. He's going to sing a patriotic song that uh, will knock your socks off, I believe. It warms my heart. And then we're going to close with, uh, with taps being played as our benediction and with a salute. And I'm going to ask after Patrick sings that all of the veterans that have served at one time or another come on each side of the altar and I want you to salute the flag as we post it and uh, taps is being played. So Patrick, God bless you.